welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. Uh, let's close out the week with sections 91 and 92. So section 91 is about the Apocrypha. And Joseph Smith had finished his translation of the Old Testament, perhaps the uh, New Testament he was still working on, though, I believe. But he's finished the Old Testament, and he asked the Lord, should I work on the Apocrypha? So the biggest question is, what is the Apocrypha? So I found a quote from Bruce R. McConkie that is fairly lengthy, that, but I think really breaks down what the Apocrypha is uh, pretty well here. Um, scholars and biblical students have grouped certain apparently scriptural Old Testament writings, which they deem to be doubtful, of doubtful authenticity or of a spurious nature under the title Apocrypha. Um, there has not always been the agreement as to specific writings which should be designated as, the apoc- as apocryphal. Um, but if you look in the Bible Dictionary, by the way, um, under Apocrypha, you'll see a list of apocryphal writings with a synopsis of what they're about. It's actually pretty cool. highly encourage it. The apocryphal writings were never included in the Hebrew Bible, but they were in the Greek Septuagint, um, which is the Old Testament used by the early apostles. And so it's the Old Testament written from Hebrew into um, Greek. Uh, Jerome, who translated the Vulgate, which was is the Latin version of the Old Testament, was required to include them in his translation, though he is quoted as having decided they should be read for example of life and instruction of manners and should not be used to establish any doctrine. Um, in Luther's German Bible, grouped the apocryphal books together uh, at the end of the Old Testament under the heading Apocrypha. So starting with Martin Luther and his Bible, uh, that his group published. They grabbed all of these apocryphal writings that they deemed as apocryphal, moved them to the back of the Old Testament, said apocrypha. Uh, and over time, though, the, they kind of slowly faded out. So Elder McConkie continues and says, the apocrypha was included in the King James Version of 1611, but by 18 years later, it started to appear without it. And then by the mid 19th century or early 19th century, which is when Joseph Smith was living, there were um, some Bibles that included it, but most of them had excluded it. And so now you can see why Joseph in 1833 would wonder, hey, is this important or not? Because it's in some Bibles, it's not in others. Uh, And so now we get to what does the Lord say about it? He says, therefore, whoso readeth it, let him understand for the spirit manifesteth truth. And whoso is enlightened by the Spirit shall obtain the benefit thereof, or therefrom. The Lord says to Joseph, you don't need to translate this or redo this. But I do. if you're going to read it, if people are going to read it, they need to have the Spirit. What do we know? What does that mean? President or Elder McConkie said, To gain any real value from a study of the apocryphal writings, the student must first have an extended background of gospel knowledge, a comprehensive understanding of the standard works of the church, plus the guidance of the Spirit. So it's important to know true doctrine. It's important to understand the Book of Mormon and the and the Old Testament and how they relate to the restored, true gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you have that understanding, then understanding the apocryphal writings will be easier. And then when you add in following the Spirit, there are things to be gained from from reading these 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 writings. But those those are kind of the the guidelines that 
the Lord gives and that his servants here, Elder McConkie, and there's other people that quotes I found that were very similar to Elder McConkie's here. Um, but so the Lord says, yeah, you don't need to translate this. Um, and if people are going to read it, here's, here are the things they need to remember to keep in mind so that they can get any gain, real gain from it. Uh, section 91, by the way, we're in March now of 1833. As we move into second, uh, section 92, uh, same same month, just a, about a week later, and the uh, what's happening is you had the United Order, and there's Frederick Williams has been added to the first presidency, was not part of the United Order, and is saying, hey, put him in as part of the United Order, take care of him and his family, so that he can focus on the work. So it's important to remember that the law of consecration is not the United Order. The United Order is not the law of consecration. The law of consecration is the doctrine. It is that we will uh, consecrate our time and talents and possessions to the Lord. That's what the law of consecration, and that, that is a doctrine. The United Order was an organization, or let's call it a, a program of the church, set up to help facilitate living that law. So, for example, let's put this in, the, in these terms that are more maybe more familiar. My whole life, up until a couple of years ago, we had the home teaching program. That's not a doctrine. The doctrine behind home teaching is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Charity, love and charity, that's the doctrine behind the home teaching program. So the program goes away because it was set up to facilitate living that law. And that doctrine goes away and it's replaced with ministering, which is a new, higher, and holier way to help us focus on that doctrine of love and charity. And so with the church, there are these programs that are implemented. What are they for? They're they're to help us. They're to guide us and to focus us on the doctrine. But they aren't doctrine themselves just as the United Order wasn't doctrine. And so Section 92, they are commanded to bring um, Frederick Williams into the United Order so that he can focus on his work as now a newly appointed counselor in the First Presidency. I think in this day and age, it's important to remember this difference between program and doctrine. And um, and the reason for that is if you can understand the doctrine behind programs, it will help the, the the program itself will better aid you in focusing on that. And so, what is what is the purpose of ministering? Why do, why is that? A, why is that the program? Why do we have companionships? A few families. To me, and I'm kind of maybe getting off subject a little bit here, but I just wanted to drive this point home of, of programs and doctrine. The doctrine of charity, we're commanded to love your neighbor. And the, the New Testament, Christ is asked, who's your na- who's my neighbor? And then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and we learn, oh yeah, everyone. Everyone's, I'm commanded to love everyone. Well, that seems daunting. That seems very daunting. So the Lord gives us a program where he says, all right, you have to love everyone, but here, why don't you start with these two or three families, focus on loving them, 
learn to love them, and as you learn to love them, apply those lessons to two or three more people. It helps us. He gives us these guide rails to help teach us these, these doctrines. And um, So as we, as we go through changes in the church throughout time, and as we the changes that will undoubtedly continue to unfold and unroll, uh, it's important to note that there, the doctrine, doctrine and truth don't change. How the Lord helps us um, does change. At times, he's going to ask us to level up. He's going to remove some of those guide rails. And he's going to ask us to just lengthen our stride, which is what he's done with home teaching and ministering. Uh, thanks for listening this week. Best of luck in your studies. And as I mentioned in the overview episode, I'll do my best moving forward, but I'll talk to you uh, when I talk to you. And until then, good luck in your studies. And I hope that the you are able to find the answers to the questions that you're seeking and that you'll have the spirit in your life. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening.